Hello, lovely people, creatures, and other beings and non-beings. Welcome to another episode of Quintessentially Queer. I'm your host, Simone, and I go by no pronouns. And I will be here to introduce today the brilliant Queen of Cyprus. Hello everyone and welcome to yet another more intimate episode. But how the tables have turned, bitches. If there is one person that I would trust to host and curate my podcast, it would be none other than Simone. Hello baby, welcome. Hello. Thank you so much for doing this. Thank you for having me. Of course, welcome to the studio of Slim Radio to the headquarters of QQO. How exciting. Very exciting. How are you? Welcome. I'm good. I'm very looking forward to our conversation and to <laughs> hearing a lot of things about you this time. You know, it's like, honestly, I mean, I've shared everything on this podcast. If you've been following, like, I don't think I've left any, like, rock unturned. However, however, I never really talked about what I actually do in a little bit more depth. And I don't think there's anyone better to orchestrate it than you. Um, but before we really get into it, um, I think I shall let the people know that the music selection today, going beyond Heidi, which is queer as fuck, is going to be basically my sex playlist, pretty much. So for those of you that have actually experienced it in real life, you're welcome. For everyone else, well, enjoy the ride and have fun. So first was Heidi, and now let's go to Tear You Apart by She Wants Revenge before we really get into it. Yes. 
So before uh, going into all the many topics we will be discussing today, I want to ask you uh, a few things about what brought you here and what are you doing beyond this podcast? Uh, because I feel like there's so many things that I know about you and <laughs> I would love to hear uh, you reflecting on them. Okay, whoa, <laughs> sell my story. Well, girl, basically, when I wanted to leave Cyprus, because I did my bachelor's in Nicosia, right? And it was like the best choice I ever could have made. Um, I I visited London before. I went to I went to Italy, I went to France. Like I've been around anyway. So for me, moving to Amsterdam was a bit of like a pragmatic choice. I always say that like Amsterdam is like, big enough to lose yourself, but small enough to find the right people. Um, little did I know though that it was fucking expensive as well, but what, that's beyond the point anyway now. Um, yeah, so I don't know. I do the Cultural Analysis Research Masters, which is also where we met. Um, okay, and I will share that story later, not now though. Uh, yeah, then I organized the Historic Elements Parties. I'm the artistic director and the head performer. I used to organize the Dumped Queer Night, uh, at OT301, and I have quintessentially queer as a blog as well, basically. Uh, so yeah, beyond this podcast, I also work with Reform Radio, and I did a couple of podcasts with OTR Radio, and just perform freelance, pretty much. Um, but yeah, may, basically my main thing is the research masters for now, and just writing in general. Okay, so I, I want to ask you a bit about that because you are also doing a lot of research currently. You're writing mm -hmm. your thesis and mm. I know you're working on a very dense topic. Mm. So <laughs> I would really like to hear what got you to that topic. Of course, we will spend some time introducing your research as mm -hmm. well outside of all your performances and uh, other incredible things you're doing in Amsterdam <laughs> and uh, the incredible network you also <laughs> built while you're here. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I want to hear about also, what are you researching on? I mean, I, I want to read your question, mm -hmm. but I also want to hear what inspired it and um, what got you to study specifically cultural analysis. Perhaps we can start by that. Yeah. Well, okay. So basically, right, I think the whole thing started off in my bachelor's because um, the course, the, 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 the thing anyway, in general, like the school was English studies. Then from that, you had to choose a track, let's say as a major, and mine was English Literature and Cultural Studies, and then a minor, which was Linguistics. However, the major was applied as the thing, anyway, only in the last year. So I had a bit of like, for lack of a better word, like academic blue balls about basically, <laughs> you know, <laughs> about basically talking about the shit that I like. And... Um, yeah, I don't know. I've always just kind of like been inspired by culture and all the different manifestations, right? Which is why I was led to performing. Uh, I started with photography, styling, anything, name it. Like I've done it type of thing in terms of uh, cultural expression. Besides singing, because <laughs> I'm not going to do that to people, <laughs> you know? Um, yeah, so how I was led to cultural analysis is actually a funny story. Because uh, it was the masters that I had my eye on from the beginning. But I didn't apply because I thought that I wasn't qualified enough. Okay. Yeah, lol. Um, and then um, I got accepted at the literature and contested spaces at the VU, which, yo, listen, I ain't trying to, like, shade anyone, but, like, false advertising and bad marketing 101. 
Um, yeah, because essentially the Masters was um, uh, promoted as, uh, what was the description? Like something like, yeah, so as an active social being that you occupy different spaces in society, how are these spaces in competition with one another and where does literature come in? I was like, that sounds super cool. It was not. Okay. Narrator. <laughs> mm-hmm. And actually also, though, on the other hand, Bitch showed up at the womb first day in a fur, a Dior bag, cowboy boots, <laughs> like these skinny <laughs> jeans, in a sea of like Van Moof riding white business boys with scarves and like slicked back blonde hair. And I was like, I do not belong here. I was drenched in a sea of heterosexuality. Anywho, uh, regardless of how leftist the Vu is, but I really didn't see myself in it at all. Then the Masters was more so focused on... Um, Environmental humanities, which is cute, but just really not my thing at all. Um, but somewhere in the electives was uh, this course that Murad was doing, the cultural studies now. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. at Nika. So I got that as an elective. And um, when I went in the class and I saw the cultural analysis people more or less, I looked around and was like, fuck this, man. I'm more qualified than most of them. Like, you know, no, I'm... I'm not trying to be like a bitch, but I mean, kind of like I knew about painting, I knew about like history of art, I knew about all these like cinematic references. So my problem. And of course, cultural analysis is much more than that, which is what we are going to also see today with your research. Oh, yes, 100%. But my main problem was the fact that I thought, according to their description, that I didn't have enough ECTS in um, artistic courses, let's say, or cultural courses. Because in Cyprus, actually, we did this concept object type of analysis. Even though we didn't really call it cultural analysis, we just called it academy, I don't know. Um, however, if I'm doing English theater or English, uh, what was it? Anglo-Saxon kitchen sink drama. Like, we were talking about the theory of theater, but then we're also actually analyzing plays. Anyway, so there was just confusion in my head. So then when I dropped out from the first master's, I started organizing the parties and performing. Uh, and then I applied for cultural analysis. Okay. Basically. Okay. And I got accepted. Perfect. And uh, tell me, how was your experience? And <laughs> I mean, uh, okay, we also have to remember that COVID started at some point. But yeah, despite yeah, yeah. of that, um, how was your experience Despite of the courses, also, how has it uh, affected or inspired your your own research and what you're doing right now? I mean, okay, basically, uh, solely walking in the first day, to be honest, and I saw around, I was like, fuck yeah, like, I would fuck with these people, you know what I mean? Um, like, everyone just seemed cool, like, yeah. cooler. I, get, I don't know. Like, I was interested in each and every one of them to know their story and know what's up. Mm-hmm. Even the people that looked normal, you're like, there's something to yeah. You're not just that, you know? Because, um, okay, also, let's be honest, huh? we all judge from first appearances and then we continue. Not really everyone, but, uh, and also each one's opinion is very broad. So we don't all share the same, but... Sure. Uh, I get uh, that, of course, like... Uh, some people tend to make assumptions. <laughs> well, you know too much and you're shading me right now because you knew that I made assumptions. <laughs> I mean, I need to poke you if I'm the you host honey, at your poke pod- me. Poke podcast. me as much as you want. <laughs> That's why you're here. No, I mean, listen. Let's be honest. Like, we, we make, we draw some meanings 
you from first appearances. You cannot tell me that when you saw me walking the first day, you didn't paint an image. Um, I think it's it's a much more complicated topic that we will need one more episode <laughs> or at least five to cover what happens when you first see someone and what happens when you encounter something, yeah. which is very complicated. It and is. I'm very inspiring as well to talk about it. And I think that is one of the things that comes up in uh, what you're also researching right now. Mm-hmm. And I'm very uh, interested to get into that as well. Uh, but before we get into that... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Before we get into that, I really want to hear more <laughs> because you have all my attention. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, okay, so basically, right, um, this bitch. So I'm sitting in class and everyone is introducing themselves and they're just like, hey, I'm George, I'm from Cyprus. Yes, I'm Mediterranean because you couldn't tell by my skin tone, you know. And the teacher's like... Oh, the Greek or the Turkish side? And I was like, oh, thank you so much. The Greek side, not a lot of people know. And politically, I'm also quite pro-unification, to be honest. However, I, I still think that we should be discussing about this. And we should keep on reminding people because it is an illegal occupation, huh? regardless of how much I want the island to be united. However, after that, it goes to Simone. And the teacher asks them, like, eh, so what about you, Simone? What's up? And they're like... Yeah, my name is Simon. I'm from Cyprus too. And they turn to me in the most like hard face, cold staring, like the Cypriot side of Cyprus. I was like, oh, I have, I have nothing to say to this bitch. I read to filth. I will take my bag and go home. I am okay. And at that moment, I knew that we would be friends because <laughs> I like people that read me to filth, you know? Uh, yeah. Well, we'll see what happens today. <laughs> I block you after everywhere. <laughs> no, I love you. I love you too, baby. I, I'm very happy to be here and have fun. Yes, but... Um, tell yeah. me. No, that's it, basically. That was my first response. Uh, the person that caught my interest the most was you. Um, evidently, because we have the cultural background and also the shady moment, which I live for, you know. And then um, Yacinta as well, to be quite honest, because I was like... This bitch looks quiet as fuck, but I'm sure she's, like, a cool, freaky queen, like, you know? And she is, like, she for me, she's the she's the queen of cool, of our classroom. But, um, yeah, essentially, this whole, like, experience was quite nice for me, you know? The only regret that I have is beyond my control, which is corona, and how I didn't really get to spend as much time with people that I would wish I connected a bit more with. You know, and even though, to be quite honest, not going to uni, I, I really liked that because I was living, I live in West. Mm-hmm. So then cycling for like 40 minutes to go wherever we have class in the morning. First of all, I'm always late. Second of all, like going back and forth, I also need like an hour after to like relax and just like be chill. So, yeah. However, I also did miss going to uni just for the sake of turning out looks and stunning pretty, all that. But um, it was nice. It was a quite reforming experience, I guess. Because I feel that in Amsterdam, or at least in UVA, in cultural analysis, what they taught us was more so methodology rather than, like, information per se. Um, at least if I compare it to the University of Cyprus, oh my God, we were fucking galvanized to, like, know everything from theorists and philosophers. Like, we had to write five different pieces of writing that are on completely different matters on completely different philosophers um, 
yeah, well, here it's more so about how you do it rather than what you do per se. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, of course. So, um, can I ask you now uh, if it would be okay to read some of the questions you're asking? Please go ahead. Introduce my research, baby. I, I would love to introduce your research. Uh, first, I want to start from the working title because this is from your proposal. Mm-hmm. And I know you're currently working on this um, thesis. Mm-hmm. And I want to also read some of the preliminary questions you have asked um, and, and, and see where they take you. Yes. And how, uh, how are you doing with that too? So the working title is The Queer Party of Metaphysics. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> Let's take a moment. Let's take understand. a moment. <laughs> <laughs> or not. <laughs> uh, ontological movements and brave spaces. And uh, some of the preliminary research questions are, how could our understanding of ontology and metaphysics change if we apply their discourse in a transient object like an event? Can rigid philosophers be embodied in a queer manner? Is it possible to reappropriate rigid philosophical knowledge and uninhabited queerness in a way that are respectively inclusive of each other? Yes. An inhibitor, okay. It's an my dyslexia kicking in. <laughs> <laughs> Love her. But I mean, like, an inhibited and uninhabited actually, like, could be on the same track, in the way I see it, at least. Um, Cite me on that one. Yeah. <laughs> well, okay, so basically, the only thing that changed, I feel, so far, um, is the title. Like, it's still going to be the queer party of metaphysics, but it would kind of, like, it turned into queerness as an alternative ontological embodiment mm-hmm. and alternative routes of knowledge production, I guess, or something like that. I still don't know. I have until July. But essentially, um, one day I was having a shower and last year and I was thinking that like, holy shit, I'm going to write my thesis next year. And it was literally the day before the damned queer night. Uh, it was a Thursday. And I was like literally having a shower and I'm like, lol, what should I fucking write it about? And I'm like, Heidegger is definitely going to be part of it. Then I'm like, definitely going to be some movies, maybe Wittgenstein or some shit by Jarman. I was like, <laughs> should write it about damned queer night. I was like, lol. I was like, holy shit, I should write about damned queer night. Why not? Literally, that's how I came up with the idea. I even like disregarded as like, lol. But like, I was like, fuck yeah, let's go for it. Because what is like important for me um, by doing all of these projects, even this podcast actually, is to validate and elucidate and shed light on different agents of life and of like just experience in general, but I obviously specify on queerness because I feel part of the community, you know? Uh, so the reason I organize the parties and the reason I invite all these people on my podcast is because I feel that like each narrative and each individual has something of beauty to add to the world, which they do anyway. But what most people need is um, someone to unveil their own uh, beauty, I guess. And I'm not trying to say it in an appropriating way or in like in, in a manipulative way, not at all. But I know that I am blessed with like a stupid level of confidence and of attention horizon. So on that note, to me, sitting in front of a lot of people talking about myself or asking questions about the other person is not intimidating at all. And a lot of people are shy. And a lot of people, myself included, 
for years don't really think that their narrative is worth sharing or is important to be stated in this way. But I think that like every single story, regardless of how small or insignificant it might be, let's say to whatever you want to measure it to, is still worth saying because um, at the end of the day, girl, I can sit here and like bullshit about any type of fucking philosopher and bullshit theory that I can read online. Like, but at the end of the day, you cannot bring external theories in personal relationships. So regardless of how much I can spell Heidegger to the team, when you're lying in bed with someone, like intermingling in their arms and kind of like passing out in their hug, like how can you describe that beyond just an emotion that is real and valid, but it doesn't really mean anything to society, you know, on, on, a, on an institutional level, I mean. Um, so on that note, to me, by taking metaphysics and this like question of being, essentially, and turning it on its head by showing the different, let's say, ephemeral routes that represent it and inhabit it within the community itself, to me, is like a radical act of kind of like queer natality, um, which may, might make me sound considered because I'm talking about my own research, but that's exactly why I'm doing it, because I fucking believe in it, you know? Um, yeah, so essentially, I just wanted to you know, cover the world in glitter and Heidegger included, pretty okay. much. And um, and tell me more about the object you're focusing on. Mm-hmm. You're using Heidegger and I know you're using a lot of other quite, um, in some ways, um, dominant, but also <laughs> quite a, a lot of dominant uh, white male mm-hmm. uh, figures, but you're using them quite differently. And yes. um, and I, I want to hear about I want to hear about that. I know that um, the podcast is also like I don't mean to take it into a very dense place, but I would like to like maybe let's take it focus on uh, on what you're doing there and how are you using also uh, your event and Dumb Queer Night. Okay. So, first of all, I think I need to give you the introduction of how I fell in love with my daddy, Martin. That would be amazing. (laughs) So, in my bachelor's, there was this teacher who was a radical feminist who I felt always excluded me uh, in the way I felt it because of it. And these are all like subjective insecurities that are being projected right now. The way I felt it is that every time I was speaking, I was being treated as if I'm kind of like a gay man that tries to overcompensate by um, being too loud or being too intense to overcompensate for the lack of masculinity that was taken away from me from patriarchy, let's say, solely by the fact that I'm gay. So this teacher was like a super Heideggerian. And um, in my head, I've always been like a reactionary kid, always. I was never sad growing up. I was more angry than sad. You know what I mean? So, like, if you tell me, let's say, to do something or expect me to do something, trust me, I will do the exact opposite. So, on that note, because I couldn't really reach her on her own language because I don't speak that language, I'm like, you know what? Let me rephrase your language in a way that I can speak it. So, I decided to be the best Heideggerian in class type of thing. So, I took Heidegger and I analyzed... um, his theory of homeliness, like Heimlich and Heimlich, uh, based on Derek Jarman's Wittgenstein. That's like an autobiography of the philosopher, but shot in a queer way. And applied with uh, John Dreyer's camp politics. Is it John? Whatever, doesn't matter. Um, this notion of camp politics, pretty much. And she gave me like a 9.5 in the end, and she's like to me, 
you're the only person on earth that could make Heidegger gay. And I'm like, yes, exactly, you know? Because baby, I might hit rock bottom, but uh, it's like a rock power bottom, you know? And the only bitch I would power bottom for is Heidegger. Uh, no, not really. <laughs> Buy me dinner and like, I'm quite easy. I'm joking. Um, but no, okay, I'm deviating now. <laughs> so basically, the reason I chose this um, object is because I want to stress exactly, again, this like queer notion of what is um, seen as appropriate. In the same respect, I've always thought that like as a queer individual, um, I could only speak or was eligible to speak about sex or gender. Then I realized that actually, you know what? All matters are queer matters. Refugee life is a queer matter. Um, sexual, whatever, libido is a que queer matter, um, homeless life is a queer matter, black lives matter, is a, you know what I'm saying? Like, queerness does not stay only in terms of sex and gender. So on that note, in my head, what I thought would be a bit more reactive, as I said, would be to take all these like super rigid, constipated white philosophers and read them in a queer manner. So taking Heidegger and his theories and applying them in a queer event where there were gays fucking on the chairs and lesbians like having sex in the hallway. Literally, true story. So basically the reason I chose the event as um, my object was because I felt like it, it, I don't know, evidently I'm biased because I curated it, but it felt like it added something of beauty in the world, mm -hmm. right? Uh, there was no guest list. And you, however, you could enter the event for free. Uh, if you were trans, are trans, non-binary, refugee, uh, or an asylum seeker, right? Uh, also, if you dressed up like a movie reference, you could get in for free. Beyond that, there were different like time uh, frames and price zones for each time, let's say. So if you wanted to just come and watch the movie, it would be for euros and then leave. If you just want to come before midnight and have a bar at the, uh, have a drink at the bar, it's also for euros. If you want to come for uh, the party only, it's six euros after midnight. And if you want to come for the whole thing, it was like 10 euros. And I want to ask here, I'm very interested in this um, sort of kind of a policy or a kind of an invitation also in mm -hmm. some ways. I mean, you can see it in many different ways. It, it requires people to identify as something yeah. and to be very vulnerable in doing so. Uh, but also perhaps what happens if someone refuses to identify and there's something to be said about refusal. What happens then? I'm also interested in that. I mean, perhaps it deviates mm -hmm. a bit from uh, your research, but since we're talking about your object, these are perhaps some questions that you're also asking or not asking yeah. in your uh, in your thesis. Um, to ask someone to openly identify as one thing or as something particular is quite um, a vulnerable thing um, to ask from someone. Mm -hmm. So I, um, I want to hear what are your thoughts on that and... What happens in refusal? This is why I love you. <laughs> yeah, 100%. Uh, uh, by the way, this is not rehearsed for everyone listening. This is literally, we're just going off the cusp right now. I've thought about this, to be quite honest, quite a lot, even back when I was organizing the party, because listen, let's call a fish a fish. Fucking trans individuals are the foundation of this community and of society at large, if you ask me. If it weren't for the trans queens, the non-binary fairies, and like basically the bottoms that made the society what it fucking is, the community would be nothing by now because the mask for mask top bitches did nothing for anyone ever. 
So the reason I wanted that to be free is because I feel that I feel like I owe to these people. You know what I mean? Exactly because it is such a vulnerable thing to be doing every single day. As Sedgwick says, as our life is a constant evolution of closets, to them, the closet is even more volatile and intense every single day. However, um, the reason I kept that as is is literally just practical because of what I just told you. However, uh, because I think that also asking people to identify as something is quite wrong, that's why I put the costume idea in. Because I want people, if you have an economic problem, let's say, or a financial whatever difficulty, you have that route. However, beyond that, I mean, sorry, uh, 10 euros, or I don't even remember how much it was. I think it was maybe even nine. But nine euros to have an art exhibition and a market, a movie, performances, visuals, and DJs is like nothing, you know? It's, it's really not a lot of money. However, I also understand because I've been in that place where even like 10 euros was a lot to spend. Just wear something, make something up and please join, you know? Um, because at the end of the day, what I want to stress is exactly this like alternative route of knowledge production. Because to me, queer is more so a verb than it is an identity, to be quite honest, uh, which turns into an identity, evidently. But queering up to me is kind of like going back in your uh, Rolodex of experience, let's say, as Simone, as George, as Bob, as who the fuck ever, anyway, and being like, you know what? Who, what the fuck did I like in my life? Mm, ah, I see the poster here, brothers. Blues brothers. Okay, I'm going to find Ray-Ban. I'm going to find the black tuxedo that I have in my closet, a white uh, shirt. Bam, I'm dressed up as Blue Brothers. Amazing, please come in. This space is for you. You queer up your discourse and you... You invoke this like alternative route of knowledge production, which is spontaneous. It's like, it's like electrons pulsating. You know what I mean? It's like this um, thermodynamic equilibrium of experience, pretty much. So that to me is like queerness, to be quite honest. Okay, um, perfect. Thank you. Um, I mean, I still have millions of questions, and I want to poke you in many different ways, but I think we should go to a song. Yes, let's go to a song. <laughs> maybe discuss in private. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so now we're going to one of my f- absolute favorite songs ever, and it's uh, Red Wine by Stoned Jesus. Yes.
So that was Red Wine by Stone Jesus. And for those of you that are wondering, yes, I do have sex to this shit. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> okay. So to go back to uh, how you described queerness as a verb. Mm-hmm. Um, and I want to hear more about how you describe queerness as a verb and what are you thinking of doing with that and um yeah i mean you already mentioned quite a lot of examples from mm-hmm. uh your damn queer night and yeah. uh you also so far have told us about um the theory you're using the background where it's mm-hmm. coming from mm-hmm. we have heard about your object we have heard about some things you're thinking of focusing about your object mm-hmm. uh now i want to hear more about um how you describe uh queerness as a verb and both in your uh both in your uh, thesis but also personally and sure. Yeah, hear more about that, and I will ask you more questions. As <laughs> okay, so um, let's just get it out of the way. My own definition of queerness that I've created in my head, and I don't know if it, evidently it's inspired and influenced by a lot of things, but it's, it, it doesn't come specifically or directly from something, right? It's like, queerness is understanding the political substantiality of your sexual identity, And then the power plays, meanings, and structures that you perpetuate when you express it against conforming normativity. Which, to me, there's no clause that's more important than the other. It's just this whole thing, to me, that is queerness. As a definition, let's say. Now, in terms of my research, and the reason I talk about ontological movements, right? I'm going to share a story as kind of like a prelude to my main theory. Um... So, in one of the last parties, was it the last one or the one before, whatever, there was this um, uh, boy, boy, there was this guy, anyway, uh, he was uh, 19, anyway, um, quite young, so, um, and he was, um, I don't remember where he was from, Syria or Egypt. Um, anyway, he looked like me, is what the point is. Darker skin, a bit hairy, beard, blah, blah, blah. So I told everyone that was part of the crew of the party to keep an eye out in general. Whenever they see someone sitting alone or feels a bit timid or whatever, to kind of like go up and talk to them maybe, offer to buy them a drink or whatever. Uh, Just be friendly to people that seem like they are alone, you know, because the point is community. So I see this person sitting alone and I go up to him and I'm like, Meanwhile, I was dressed up like Lady Ottolin from, like, Wittgenstein by Jarman with this, like, huge feather lime headpiece to the floor, glitter top, like, backless. I was a lot. So I go up to him and I'm like, hey, how are you? Blah, blah, welcome. And I'm like, what's your name? Where, what are you doing here? Blah, blah, blah. He was an asylum seeker. And I was like, you got in for free, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm like, awesome. And we talked a little bit and he seemed a bit timid. And I told him, like, yo, listen, are you here alone? And he told me, yeah. And I'm like, if you want... You can go and talk to whoever has, like, a pink ribbon on their hand. And if not, you can just hang out with me. Like, listen, I'm the organizer, so, like, I'm all over the place. But whenever you see me, you just come up to me and, like, we can hang out if you want. Uh, do you want something to drink? It's like, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm just having a beer. I'm like, you want some vodka? And it's like, there's no vodka. And I'm like, baby, I organized the party. There is vodka. Just come with me. So I took him backstage. I gave him a couple of shots. <laughs> anyway, got the bitch drunk, pretty much. 
And then after that, I performed. And um, yeah, he comes to me after I performed towards the end of the party where he was a bit more drunk and a little bit more like fluid anyway and uh, chill. And he's like to me, thank you so much for like what you did tonight. Like I have never seen someone that like looks like me like this, hairy, male presenting, whatever anyway, oriental looking, whatever you want to call this, to be so flamboyant and be so openly like performative and actually perform. I didn't think that this thing was like, like possible for people like us. And he just thanked me and evidently I got like watery eyes and I was like, oh my God, you are the reason why I'm doing this. But the world, right, is experienced ontologically, as Badia says, in terms of its countability. What is counted is the accumulated experiences of what constitute each fraction of being as an ontological, like, not mass, an ontological thing, let's say an ontological body. So, in society, um, these things are all countable, uh, reaches to a point, right, where some things are counted a little bit more substantially than others. Those being the predominant ones, which Badia calls the counted as ones. It's the ones that are counted and substantiated for what they are, as an absolute and as a meter of comparison, let's say, for every other ontological body, to counterfeit it as a pivot relationship. So my argument is that essentially in society, the counter as one is cis white heterosexual men. So this counter as one, as it is counter as such, produces different multiples by the pivot relationships it reproduces by its own countability. And thus these multiples that it creates are normal as juxtaposed to it. So if the counter as one is a cis white straight man, a cis white straight woman would be the normal multiple, the primary one. Then, a cis white um, gay man would be a little bit more of like an abnormal, not abnormal, but a little bit less normal multiple. And it creates these like things. You know what I'm saying? Um, so, if this like thing happens as like not pillars, but you know when you throw the rock in the water and it creates these like fractals, let's say these circles... It's like that it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. However, ontologically, right, uh, this countability of experience reaches a point where it cannot really cover. It cannot really suffice to its, in its own terms. How the fuck can a cis white, straight businessman that has always lived in the pipe, was born with money and works at Van Moof, let's say, how the fuck will he ever be able to understand what, let's say, a black, trans, sex worker, homeless woman that is also addicted to speed and had free abortions or whatever, you, you know what I'm saying? In this hierarchy of oppression, how the fuck will he ever be able to understand the lower tier of the oppression hierarchy, you know? So in this respect, these counter as ones of their own countability reach a point where they are void, they cannot cover, and then what that is, essentially, that locality is abnormal multiplicities, which, to my own understanding, is where true radical queerness lies in, because that locality is substantiated as such only in terms of its location and the distance it has with the location and the void. 
the void being an infinite possibility. So that boy coming up to me and telling me the things he told me at damned Curry Night, for me, in my own understanding of ontology, let's say in metaphysics, is him realizing that his locality is not always based on the counter as one. You can substantiate yourself in your own ways within a queer setting, in queer manners, and realize that actually, bitch is possible. Even if you're a hairy Syrian dude, to do belly dancing and be flamboyant and wear heels and wear feathers and glitter. Why the fuck not? Who cares? So, yeah, that's how I queer up ontology and metaphysics, basically. Okay, uh, thank you. I mean, uh, it's interesting to hear um, your uh, research because uh, I'm doing something quite very different from you. So I'm, I always find it interesting to see uh, how you see these um, uh, topics. And of course, I feel like there are also a lot of uh, gaps in what you're saying that mm-hmm. I'm very interested in. And a lot of also uh, things that when I hear them, I'm like, what? Like... Uh, how are you phrasing it in that way and what it means to phrase it in that way and what it means to just say society, which society, which specific person, what it means to um, say that someone looks like me and what it means for who and who has the right to say this person looks like me, but I don't even know if they're Egyptian or Syrian. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that is these are important, um, vulnerable positions to... Um, to place someone in, especially we're doing a podcast and we're talking about mm-hmm. all these very personal elements and what it means to say that I am oriental looking um, and who can say that and how and how can you identify someone as that in your own position. So I think it's interesting to see what comes up in your research and what doesn't mm-hmm. and to hear you talk uh, talk about it and to also think with uh, who do we identify and who identifies who as normal or abnormal, mm-hmm. even if that is in quotation marks mm-hmm. uh, that we can't necessarily show when we are talking on a podcast again. Um, so a lot of these questions are sort of swirling around in my head. <laughs> and I am thinking uh, also, what does this mean to be in a community and to point out someone as right now needing a moment of remaining um remaining alone and what it means to be alone in a community and what it means to go and think that this person is alone and identify them as alone and talk to them and whether they want to be part of something that or they are walking into something that sees itself as a community whereas they're just an individual visiting and passing by and what it means to pass by mm-hmm. and i think these are some of the things that are passing around in my own head <laughs> when i'm listening to you um and um i don't necessarily have something to say but i find interesting the way you talk about stuff because i feel like you're describing them in a way that i would uh, I wouldn't. And yeah, that, that encounter with your experiences and the way you describe them uh-huh. is, is quite interesting to me uh, for the way you see, the, you see your event and you, you use it in your research. <laughs> yes. I mean, listen, evidently the way I speak is also reactionary. I'm speaking in a way where it's quite packed in order to provoke, primarily. Not, pro- not provoke. Provoke makes it sound like it's negative. I want to poke as you say, as well. You know, I want to create an opposition. Like, that's that's why I fell in love with you in the beginning, because you did read me to filth. 
You know what I mean? You're like, no, bitch, I'm from the Cypropa, what's up? And I was like, yes, prove me wrong. Not prove me wrong, tell me that I'm wrong. You know, I've gotten in a lot of trouble, let's say, for example, for calling people bitch. Bitch is like my favorite word, like literally, because it's someone who is being in total control of herself or himself or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, that's what a bitch is to me. So when I call you bitch, just like... If I don't call you bitch, then I, that means I probably don't really love you. <laughs> you know what I mean? Anyway, um, but you know, these things, again, as I said before, you cannot bring external theories in personal relationships, right? And the reason I went to talk to this person is not because I felt like I was the omnipotent, whatever, that I want to push them into doing with something they don't want. Is that you feel these vibes. So someone sitting at a, at a party with a vest open, topless, in the corner, you're kind of like pushing a little bit like with micro gestures, the vest to close up his hairy chest while sipping on a beard and looking at the wall. You feel the awkwardness. You realize that a person comes to a queer party to connect, you know, to fuck, to meet friends, to get drunk, to put glitter in places that glitter should never be, you know? But you come to these places to manifest, an experience, mm -hmm. an emotion, whatever it is. You don't come, You even, even if you come to consume, putting it in quotation marks, right? Mm -hmm. To take in what it is as a spectator, you still come to share this communal effervescence. Whether it's like in the intake or the outtake part of it, you know? So being alone in a community at the end of the day is exactly what it is. But it's a different thing being alone by your own volition and being alone because you feel like you have no other choice, you know? Because uh, I was at that point. I was in the army for two years for fuck's sake, you know? So, like, being alone is not a cute thing because as queer people, we have the privilege to get to choose our family. So once you choose the people you have around you, you realize how beautiful it is, you know? I actually recorded a podcast a couple of days ago called The Love Letter to My Friends, and you're definitely in it as well. I, I mentioned your name as well. But I realized how, sorry, now I'm debating, but I realized how not feminist I was because I just shared all these, like, personal stories with, like, friends of mine, like, gay friends of mine. Uh, and then I just left, like, most of my girlfriends out of it, uh, like, Lorena and Lenny, for example, or all of, like, my non-binary siblings like you, you know what I mean, out of it. Um, and I realized that, that wasn't cool. But I love you and you know it. You have your own podcast, baby. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, okay, so uh, I want to ask you some more questions, although I still have uh, so many left for, about our previous topic. Mm -hmm. um, but I want to also ask you, so where do you go from um, from all these anecdotal uh, that all these anecdotal stories that you remember and you're capturing and you mm -hmm. record in some way um, how are you first of all how are you recording them in in what form do you do you present the anecdotal within your research uh, I mean, now we are, of course, talking about it in a podcast, but I'm interested in the way in which you research the methodology or non-methodology that you might be following yeah. and the way you read and the way you document stories mm -hmm. and um, what does it do to you to do mm. that? Which stories do you document and how? 
I mean, to be quite honest, in my research, I don't, I don't include these stories. Huh? These okay. are personal stories of the party. Like, I'm not gonna use personal information of other people. Of course not. But I'm using my own personal experience. Uh, so I'm writing in terms of auto theory. So I basically produce this like self-written and self-embodied literature that's partly poetry, partly like f- f- literature, just um, academic writing, I guess, to an extent. Uh, no, artistic writing, not academic, sorry. And it's like my own, I'm trying to document my own process of knowledge production. Because one of the main inspirations of the party was the cook, the thief, his wife and her lover, which is a movie by Peter Greenaway. It's my favorite movie ever. Then Wittgenstein by Dirk Jarman is the other inspiration that I had of the party. And then the other is Party Monster, which is like this uh, documentary about the club kids in the 90s in New York. So I watched all these movies, right, years ago. Then I somehow created this uh, party because, uh, to me, listen, if you want to go somewhere, just get fucking high and listen to some boring ass 4 by 4 techno, go ahead and knock yourself out. But I've, I've been around the blog a couple of times by now, and I know which shops to stop and which ones to kind of like leave behind. So on that note, I want to be challenged all the time. I want to be inspired. I want to be grown out of uh, the comfort zones. You know what I'm saying? If it doesn't give you financial support, inspiration, or an orgasm, it has no place in your life, baby, whatsoever. So on that note, if I can do all of the above, <laughs> it's like win, win, win. Okay, I'm just making fun now. But essentially, I made this party because I wanted to, again, portray as many queer agents of experience as possible. Artists, painters, craftsmen, craftwomen, um, fucking performers, DJs, anything. Right? Because I want people to think. I want to give the space for people to think. Now, if you think or not, whatever, I don't care. It's your own issue. I'm not going to tell you what to do. You know what I'm saying? But in the same respect, like, I wanted to include as many things as possible. Because um, you came to my party, actually. Came, you chilled a little bit, had a beer, and then left. Before the party really hit off. And that's valid. That's a very valid experience in the party. Or uh, another person came and only watched the movie and then left because they don't want to fucking party or take uh, drugs or a drink. You know, someone else might just want to come, watch the movie, watch the performances and live by one. You know, other people want to come at 12 and just party until five in the morning. Like, and that's why I, I'm so focused and so interested in this like alternative embodiment as queerness because all of these people regardless of how different they are to one another, they're all queer because they can actually signal post their own selves but their own locality in the void, basically, in my own understanding. Huh? And again, right now, I'm projecting theories on real-life experiences, which is not this eight-to-one de facto relationship. So essentially, in terms of these stories, what I try to question is like, what came first, the chicken or the egg? So I watched the movies before, then I organized the party. I did all this thing, all this like pandemonium of experience like that all of these movies encapsulate. But it's not like I sat down and I was like, oh my God, how am I going to create this party? Okay, this and this and this. No, I just did it instinctively. And then when I took a step back, I was like, holy shit. I see all these like speckles of experience that my life is and they're encapsulated within what I am living. So... Being queer and actually only looking at this infinite possibility to me is what this alternative knowledge production is. Because you can like pull different threads 
semiotic threads, I guess, between your own creations and your own puzzles. So that to me is why I'm writing what I'm writing in this way. Okay, perfect. And um, thank you for your description. So I feel like we touched on so many different parts of your research. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I also want to ask you about, um, about now I feel like, okay, it's because I also know you despite of this podcast, I know you are about to um, travel, move, or yes. uh, have some um, sort of um, move into a different background. Uh-huh. Um, so I think you're going to Cyprus. <laughs> yes, it's I okay am. to mention this. Mm-hmm, of course. Um, and I want to ask you, how do you also see uh, going... To Cyprus, I don't want to say going back to Cyprus, but rather just going to Cyprus. <laughs> and um, I think shook. <laughs> <laughs> and how do you how do you see that? And how is it to also write yeah. there? And yeah, how yeah, yeah. what what would that uh, do? Because it's quite a different environment. Oh yes, uh, from here. It is. And I want to hear about um, about that. Yeah. Okay. So basically. Um, I I talked about this in the podcast that I recorded a couple of days ago too. But um, in terms of my thesis, pretty much, since I am talking about this embodiment of knowledge production, I feel that each part of my thesis is somehow lived through me. I had the idea of the party, did it, done, wrote down the theory, first chapter, gone. The second chapter was going to be on the movies and how the movies inspired the party. Somehow... Fucking Stiliana popped up and she's like, hey, I'm coming to Amsterdam for this like audition. I'm like, okay, cool. Stiliana um, is like one of my best friends and she was one of the main performers of the party. And also her one of her favorite movies is The Cook, The Thief, His Wife and Her Lover. And she actually performed a number based on the movie at the party. So when we're talking about the movie, she gave me this completely new outlook on, on as a reading of the movie. And I was like, oh my God, now that I just watched the movie literally yesterday, this bitch calls me, gives me this completely new reading, then she comes to Amsterdam. Like, it's somehow like the, the this performance of words that I'm trying to put on paper are somehow manifested through me as this like embodiment of what I'm living in right now. You know what I mean? So then, because that happened, I decided to actually focus, instead of the movie itself, to focus on the interplay between the movie, the performance that Stiliana made, and the party at large. So, again, I'm invoking this, like, different order of knowledge production. Because to me, this movie um, was registered in my own Rolodex, let's say, and then created this party. For Stiliana, it was a, m- a more conscious, I guess, decision of being like, wow, you know what? This song is inspiring. I love this movie. I want to dance something based on that too and did it. And then somehow our knowledge production has reached that point of coalition and bam, she performed at my party. So I am writing those two chapters in Amsterdam. I'm halfway in the second one. And my third chapter is about me as a host of the party where I use my own theory and what it means to actually reflect on your own knowledge production and on your own writing. So this goes back to this idea of origins and of Alicia that Heidegger is like busting her balls about for like years now. And 
of essentially going back to this more originary state of being and of becoming. So in my head, it would make a lot more sense to go back to Cyprus to write this because it's like I'm performing my thesis, essentially, right? Because um, just to put things kind of like in perspective, right? I personally believe that the world is entrenched politically in the way it's experienced. In this way, what I hope in general this thesis will accomplish is to provide the same level of freedom in doing philosophy as the party did in terms of doing queerness. In this way, we are preparing both. I want to show that basically, only if we focus on our own narratives and fully submerge ourselves in like this openness and vulnerability, can we firstly recognize our own bravery for doing so? And secondly, actually add to this global discourse of design and of life and of experience, you know? Essentially, on a base level, what I want to show is that everyone should have their own means of substantiation, not only in queerness, but also in knowledge production. Ultimately, showing that the only thing we should aspire to be is never to be like queer or intelligent in an appropriate way, but like radical empaths that fully unveil and disclose the world within us, pretty much. Thank you. So maybe to just uh, take that in for a moment, mm-hmm. shall we put on a song? Yes, yes, let's put on a song. Amazing. Which one should we go for right now? I love Marilyn Manson, but he's a fucking abuser. So I'm like, no, delete all of his songs, bitch. Bye. Okay. I think I'm going to go to Girl. Lately, things have been changing, but the beautiful girls. So that was Girl. Lately, things have been changing by the beautiful girls. So maybe to um, 
now because we are also slowly approaching the end of uh, this podcast. Mm -hmm. um, I want to at at some point share an extract maybe from from your research to actually mm -hmm. uh, see uh, what you're writing and and get to hear you read it in your own voice and perhaps we can we can end with something like that. Sure. Do you have any last questions to ask me if you want to anything answered? We still have time. It's my podcast. We do whatever the fuck we want. <laughs> <laughs> um, I do have many questions, but I think that the questions are so... Um, they have a lot to do with these ways of identifying, identifying mm -hmm. who and where and when and why and um, the ethics of doing so as well. And... Um, what counts that these are the notions that I, I think I also asked you before, mm -hmm. but I don't know if it would be productive to go more into it. I think that I would like to, for now, stay with, uh, your moving to Cyprus mm -hmm. and stay with what you, um, your own voice and your own research, because this is a podcast that I would like it to be a lot about your voice and what what is your voice outside of uh, performances as well. I mean, of course, they're very uh, intertwined and mm -hmm. this is what you're also doing. But I think what I find interesting is also your, your uh, way of doing so in writing and in writing in a more um, <sighs> academic sense, despite of, uh, I know you have your blog and I know you have a lot of uh, other accounts that you're using, even your Instagram, mm -hmm. even your stories and um, and all this sort of different uh, means of communication. But I'm mm -hmm. really interested uh, specifically in your more academic um, writing. And I know you also have been to a conference mm -hmm. very recently, mm -hmm. and which went very well. Yes. And um, that, was a, that was an experience that I think you also uh, um, in really performed your text and really performed your writing, mm -hmm. even on Zoom. Yes. Um, so maybe, maybe it would be nice to hear a bit about that and any any sort of um i don't know anything you want to share about doing that because i know mm -hmm. that perhaps people that are listening or are curious about also um how you do that mm -hmm. in a more practical sense as well how um how you perform your text and um uh, i i also remember you started your performance at the conference yeah. uh by putting on makeup while everyone else was um was already reading their text and the act of putting up makeup while mm -hmm. while in a conference uh the act of slowly transitioning into uh performing your text and all these uh different ways you have of entering a space mm -hmm. and doing something um, and bringing things together and tearing them apart. And I want to hear a bit about, uh, about that and maybe end uh, with an extract. Yes. Okay. So basically, um, uh, I've always been like fascinated by things that are oppositional to what is appropriate for me. Evidently, I'm queer as fuck, you know what I mean? So on that note, like I've all, I, like my two favorite genres of music, for example, is metal and side trance, 
which is two of the most um, male-dominated dance floors that you can ever, like, get to, to be quite honest. So I always loved kind of, like, pushing these boundaries of what is acceptable of me and what is not, or what is expected of me more so and what is not. And, you know, talking about this, like, self-substantiation thing, uh, I actually do the exact opposite, let's say, by these things that I'm saying now I'm realizing, that I always kind of, like, compare myself to actually what is expected of me. Then I'm like, nope, I'm going to do the exact opposite, you know? Because I am I feel quite comfortable and quite confident in how I substantiate myself. So on that note, I'm like, let's just have some fun, <laughs> you know? Let's just piss bitches off. My goal of 2021 is to be happy, wholesome, and hydrated. And then, inconvenience as many seas white straight when as possible. But that's, like, always <laughs> my goal. So on that note, to me, like... um academia was always this thing that was just so rigid and so whatever and I've always been getting we I know it's like a privileged thing to say but I've always been getting around eight in terms of grades I mean out of ten and the feedback that I was always getting is that either I'm too much or that I'm too aggressive or that I'm too non-methodological let's say oh my god I hate citations and all that shit like I hate it but that I get I understand However, I would much rather do philosophy in a way that makes sense to me and have fun with it, regardless of how non-serious it might come off as, because it's lived and it's experienced. It's like, it's, it's, it, it's alive, you know? So if it is alive, then why not apply to your own means? You know what I'm saying? Why not, in a way, make it your own, you know? Because if you just recite things that, like, other people, like pretty much talk about, then it's not really your own opinion. You know what I'm saying? It's other people's opinions, and you're just performing it. And as Butler said, who is my mom, right, um, it's performative. It's not just a performance. It perpetuates meanings, and it perpetuates structures, and there's a consciousness element added to it. So in that respect, um, to me, I'm like, fuck yeah. Put on some makeup, find what inspires you in your life, and then just fucking do it, you know? But before I close off, I would like to thank you so much for uh, doing this for me. You're the only person that I would trust to do this with. Thank you a lot. I appreciate it. And I will see you I will see you in Cyprus, uh, evidently, at some point. I'll see you around as well. But it was a pleasure having this as our goodbye in Amsterdam for the moment. Definitely. You know, but I will also give you the choice because I'm still like, I'm a Virgo, but my moon is an Aries baby. So should I close it off with the conference thing or should I close it off with the intro of my actual thesis about the party itself? Let's talk about the thesis because this is what ha- we have been focusing on so far. So perhaps that is a good point okay. to end work. With. Yes. So I have been told that I'm too much. I have been told that I'm too serious and too touchy too loud and too tiring, that my voice is shrieking for attention in places that cannot hold me. I am not a woman, I am not black, I am not disabled. I am not a refugee, I am not gay, and I am not trans. I've always known that I'm self-centered. I never really understood how I couldn't be. I only know my own experience, and I only experience my own knowing. You see, growing up in a secluded Mediterranean rock doesn't give you a lot of options. You either are or you're not, and I definitely wasn't. I didn't play in the streets, but my knees were somehow always bruised. 
Looking on the outside, I had to go inside. I couldn't find me in the outer, so I created my own inner. I forget to form the sentences that are still ongoing for others. I love my Cypriotness, but I had to create my own somewhere outside of its narrow truth periphery. In a place of isolated periscopic previews of what my mind created as an infinite possibility. I am whatever you want me to be, as all the spaces withhold me. I am a person with a voice. I am a person who judges and stands up. I am a person that wants to live alongside other people. I am a person that denounces humanity for choosing who is human. I suddenly came out of the army, myself, and that closet. I came into the militancy of my truth being realized and embodied. As to the numerous occasions where forgetfulness bruised my knees again by pleading to my own submission. I saw the them kneeled next to me and realized that my periphery has suddenly horizoned my fault of having a limit in the first place. Stretching out forever, I finally came close to the others. We hold each other, trying to stand to the height we thought we had, only to realize that we already were. It's everyone else that was standing wrong. We finally took a seat to speak. They taught me to forget and to remember that because I will. They taught me that pink is definitely better than khaki, and that word that rhymes with here, it could be fear. They taught me that I'm not alone, that I can finally start a sentence without I. Numbering day by day, lengthening humanity minute by the minute, one word at a time. The colors are set in line to glisten after the rain. Once we're dry again, we blur the lines and show the colors we chose for ourselves. People is uncountable. Culture then sprouted up, merging literature with every kind of modern ism to form a garden of blossoming opinions and tender knowledges. The room that was once my own suddenly was occupied with a harmony of voices and its wallpaper has been refurbished to yellow. The icebox has been, empty, has been emptied of the plums to make room for food for thought. Not I was placed in theatricality and the kitchen sink was bought in a field of restricted production. Finally, as the flow was flowing, I encountered the I in the last sentence. Retrospectively, I analyzed the validity of my own gender and the weights on that stage next to the knot. It performs with a consciousness of its own possibility. Suddenly, the flow stops for the torrent of Dasein to drift me off to a global discourse. Drowning in unpronounceable German words, someone's history defines them, but their actions can refine them. Finally, I remember the empathy of forgetfulness. I am an opinion that cannot count as it is not needed for appraisal. I am the place where all the voices resonate and hold into account the actions that set their intonation. I am the void where screams go to shelter their tiresome bodies from the ever-fleeting notion of ignorance. I am able to avoid the looks that penetrate. I am available for production as I am consumption. I am the body which is privileged and strong. I manifest. My life is full of events. Every person I meet shifts my point to their view to see the commonalities and differences in their embodied truths. It suddenly makes sense while analyzing culture. It's not only objects that speak. We do too. It's not only concepts that travel. We do too. We speak while we walk because it makes the commute that much more bearable. It was a long way, but I reached the point of recognition.
My inspiration lies in the people around me and I am their gateway. I see my own being traversing through others. I want to bring them all together and celebrate that word again that I keep on forgetting. It could be near. We cover our trucks with glitter this time because we're not hiding anymore. We want to be found only by those that are looking. Sensing community and communal effervescence and forming a family of momentary coalescence. Celebrating life for the pot of gold that you've been given. We is better than I because it's strong and it's driven. Realizing the power of building each other up and thriving. Writing with one another is just more fun if our words are rhyming. Questioning again what that word was. Ubiquitous, serene, tumultuous in pause. Escaping conversations in oppositions with no cause. Elevating each other, have no fear and have no foe. Revelations come to those that watch the details and the prose. I'll try to stop the rhyming now. The concept's ticket is in one way. The object is ephemeral, but if you want to go back, it's okay. It's a community, it's a family, and it's a memory. It's an all-in-all, and it breaks the rules and expectations. Just when you thought you had it figured out, discourse gravitates away. There's glitter in club kids and movies and artists. There's popcorn and dance and sex and magic. There's friendships and lover and costumes and lies. Illusions are made to art and roles are shattered. The only prerequisite is a question and two lies. Who are you and how did you get here? All right, now left, the word is queer. I guess it's time. I guess none of us are morning people. Well, some might. They're all invited anyway. It's a damned queer night. Yes. Perfect. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Lovely to hear you. So, do you want to share maybe uh, social media or any platform that people can reach you through if you would like to? Um, I mean, I don't really have a lot of social media, so I don't think they can reach me. Uh, (laughs) You don't, don't you? No, I don't. Uh, So I think that uh, if you would like to find me, um, yeah. Don't find me. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we only talk on WhatsApp, so kind of like, yeah, fair yeah, enough. Yeah, so. Yeah. Well, so this was Quintessentially Queer, curated by the lovely Simone. Thank you so much again Thank for you. doing this for me. And if you want to follow Quintessentially Queer, you can follow it under the set name on Facebook. Follow Slim Radio on every single platform you can. You can follow me under gravity underscore grave on Instagram. So let's close off with one of my favorite songs, I would say, which is Why by Andrew Bird. Yes. Get your punishment when you show me your crumbs And it's not The spell of the curse you put on me All the way you make me smile so tenderly How I 
wish it was your temper you were throwing Damn you for being so easy going I thought the charm would tell 